Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and I have with me today Rena Van Alst from Strata Central. Happy New Year, Rena. Happy New Year to you too, Amanda. How was your break? Lovely. Very enjoyable, much needed, and I am looking forward to getting into 2021. How about you? Yeah, the same, Amanda. It's just good to have that nice downtime where the phones aren't ringing and I could catch up on a little bit of work that I wasn't able to do during the year, so it was good. Nice one. Now, I'm not sure if you've had many wins and challenges yet, Rena, but we've always got some in our grab bag. Share your challenge for me this week. Yeah, so a few weeks ago, Amanda, I received a call from a tenant one night saying that there was a problem with the toilet and that it wasn't flushing and they were concerned that there was stuff coming out of it when that happened. So I said to them, okay, I emailed the plumber straight away that night and said, just to let you know, tomorrow morning, can you please go out to this apartment? Anyway, the plumber hadn't sent the email and then at about nine o'clock in the morning I received a phone call saying that there's probably half of the apartment had been flooded, that the sewage had come through to the toilet and basically mm-hmm. affected the hallways, the, the liner in the kitchen, one of the bedrooms. And so I rang the um, plumber and said, have you seen your email? He said, no. I said, you better get out there very quickly. So anyway, he went out there and basically it was a tree roots issue which apparently had happened some years ago in another apartment on the ground floor in this building. Mm. Anyway, so then I proceeded to contact a company that insurance brokers use where they come out and they do the cleaning and they get blowers and they do an initial report on in terms of the damage. And therefore, as a result, the apartment was uninhabitable because of the fact that there was all this discharge and sewage all over the place, and apart from the fact that it's unhygienic as well. So the tenants asked me, can we relocate? And I said, well, Yes, you, you have to relocate. Um, it's uninhabitable. But in terms of who's paying, so that's an issue between the landlord who has an agent and myself who will work all that out. Anyway, because it was obviously, they were quite hysterical and, mm. you know, like, I mean, I suppose some people react a bit more emotionally than others, but be that as it may, I said, please find somewhere else. And anyway, so then I get, you know, this back and forth manner and I advise them, no, you have to stay out a bit longer. And we get advice. I think it was about a bit over a week actually they were relocated. And they send me their invoice for payment and say, can you please pay out our rental costs because we can't claim these on our personal insurance because of the fact that it wasn't, it was caused due to tree roots and therefore their policy doesn't cover that. And then they gave me the, the they had to park their car at the place I was staying. And so, sorry, this is the tenant? Tenant, asking. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then also then they even gave me a bill for their first night of dinner, which I thought was very strange, but anyway. Hmm. And then they've been emailing the, the agent and myself in relation to their clothes and, and the mm. replacing the bed. And I said, hang on. So anyway, I've got, we, we got onto the insurer. We have a, a $10,000 excess for this particular um, scheme for any water damage, which is, this is part of that. So the insurer has correctly said that there's no rights for tenants in terms of loss of rent and that therefore this is a responsibility of the lot owner to deal with their tenant. They can obviously put a loss of rent claim in based on the rent that the landlord has lost from the time that they had to leave the apartment from the time they were able to return. But my question, Amanda, is in terms of 
the recent case we discussed before Christmas in relation to damages and things like that mm. um, for failure to repair and maintain common property under Section 106. In this instance where it's just tree roots and then there's no one, I mean, even though it may have happened in the past, it's not something that you can actually plan for or maintain as such. I assume in this case that the Owners Corporation really has no obligation to pay that rent but just to reimburse the loss of rent to the landlord through the mm. policy. And if obviously even if the um, there's a $10,000 excess, we'll have to pay that and then any difference is, is borne by the insurance company. So I just wanted to sort of obtain your thoughts on, on this issue. Yeah, good question. First of all, you're right that the tenant has no claim against the owners corporation when it comes to any kind of loss and damage. It is only an owner under section 106, subsection 5 it is in our Strata Schemes Management Act that may recover from the owners corporation any reasonably foreseeable loss suffered by the owner as a result of the owners corporation's failure to repair and maintain the common property. So you're quite right to question, is this a loss arising from a failure to repair and maintain the common property? Because we've been doing everything that we should have been doing, uh, I assume, to meet our section 106 duty. We had no idea that there was an issue with tree roots. This is something that arises from the tree roots, not from a failure to repair and maintain the common property. And I suspect there's nothing that could have been done to prevent this. This is a true unexpected uh, insurable and insured and the insurer is covering what they need to cover under their policy. It will be for the owner to make out that there has been a failure to repair and maintain the common property and that their loss is a result. We use exactly that word in Mm. the legislation, a result of the owners corporation's failure to repair and maintain. Certainly we have case law in New South Wales that says the duty to repair and maintain is strict, it is absolute, it arises immediately that an item of the common property stops working or is in need of repair, you don't have any grace period, you can't say, well, we're doing that in a month or a year or two weeks, your duty arises and must be met immediately. This situation, as I hear it, doesn't have that connection to the failure Mm -hmm in the common property. I I can't, and the owner would have to, point to where the failure to repair and maintain arises. And that's not to say that it doesn't in some circumstances where there's plumbing issues. um, There may be something wrong with the pipes. Maybe there was a recommendation some years previously to replace pipes because this kind of event may happen. There could be all sorts of unique circumstances in a particular situation, but that is my broad view of this one. On its face. Yeah, so the plumber has actually advised that he will um, install a runoff that if that ever happens again, it runs off out into the garden and not into the apartment. So uh-huh. that was done straight away, Amanda. Once the, the quote was provided, we did the work straight I think it was done within I think, three or four days that was done. So that mm. if it ever happens again, rather than that discharge happening within an apartment, it just goes out into the garden areas or wherever mm. he thought was appropriate. So in a sense, even though it may have happened in the building previously, I mean, I've never, since we started managing it in September 19, we've never had any other event occur. So not as if like, you know, every three months I'm hearing about this and therefore, mm. yeah, I mean, it might have happened historically and it's happened in many buildings, including my own. I don't think that it's hard to sort of, you know, know when the tree roots are coming through and what to do about it. 
Yeah, it's almost like saying there was a once in a hundred year rain event and mm. we had one of those in Sydney a couple of years ago and because of that my apartment was flooded and the owners' corporation failed to repair and maintain common property yeah. and that's why I suffered my loss. It's a bit of a stretch when we're dealing with these intervening forces, yeah. if you like. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you for being comfort. <laughs> no problem. Happy to provide that comfort for you, Rena Van Alst. My challenge this week also arises from insurance. This was a question posted in our member forum recently, and it relates to insurance valuations. And I mentioned to this member that I would raise this with you, and I'd love to hear the views of other strata managers too, because I think this is a unique issue arising from the management of our buildings, less so a legal issue. But this particular member owns in a three-story apartment block. They've had a recent insurance valuation done, which recommends a building sum insured that is significantly lower than the valuation done three years ago. And when the owner is having a look at this report, they can see that there are a number of things that were included in the first valuation that are not included in this more recent one. And the owner is not quite sure why there is such a difference between these two valuations. Have you come across this before, Rena, when comparing valuations? Quite surprising that it would come in lower after three years. Yeah, no, I haven't ever had it come in lower. And what we always try and do with valuations, Amanda, is always use the same value. It's more practical. I think they've got the, the measurements and, and the records. And so we, we tend to try and use the same value. And normally it's more economical as well than having a new company coming out. So this is the first time that I have come across a situation where the new valuation is less than the old yep. one. No, for no apparent reason. I mean, sometimes building costs do go down when there's downturn in the economy because that's the, the valuation is determined by the, the building mm. costs, the replacement costs, and not market value. So if there's less demand on building costs, then valuations may go down. But I can't see at this point, even with COVID, that that really has had much of an impact um, in terms of building costs. But I mean, again, I'm not a valuer, mm. but it does seem highly unlikely. Now, we do have some legislative requirements in New South Wales when it comes to calculating insurance coverage under our damage policies, and that is set out in the Strata Schemes Management Regulation 2016 in New South Wales. So you can have a look at Regulation 39, which cross-refers back to Section 161 of our Strata Schemes Management Act, and there are a number of items there that must be considered, addressed when calculating the building sum insured. So uh, what I would be saying to owners who are concerned about valuations not being accurate is to refer to those sections, ask the valuer to confirm that they have addressed the requirements of each of those sections. The other interesting thing, Rena, about this particular valuation was that apparently it was accompanied by an offer that if the building agreed to reduce their building sum insured in accordance with the valuation that had been done, they would get a $2,000 rebate on their insurance premium. And there was a time limit on that. They had to take it up within 14 days. Well, that is highly unusual in terms of the, of the taking up within 14 days, Amanda. I mean, it is normal that when the building sum insured goes down, the premium will go down. And when the building sum insured goes up, the premium goes up. That is how the premiums are calculated based on the replacement costs. 
and other risks as well, but that's one of the major factors. And it's usually like a multiple, I think, after a certain threshold. But to have a time limit to accept this is really unusual. I don't know, is it because of the renewal period? I mean, normally I think the insurer gives 14, I'm not sure if they give them 14 days grace to accept Mm, a quote. Yeah, so I'm not sure if it relates just to that aspect of the, without having all the details, it's really hard to make a comment without knowing if it relates to the date of expiry of the policy and then there's a 14-day period for them to accept it because really after that then the building can be uninsured mm. because even when you don't pay by the due date, I think the insurer gives you a holding over period. I think it, I thought it was only seven days but it may vary. The interesting thing about this particular aspect of the question, I think, Rena, was that apparently it was the valuer, the, the person who had done the valuation and quoted the lower building sum insured who was recommending the taking up of this particular policy. That's my understanding of the situation because the member has commented to me that this valuer was apparently independent of the insurers but was somehow making an offer that expired within 14 days. Yeah, it sounds very unusual that that, that a valuer would be getting involved in anything to do with the renewal process apart from providing evaluation, perhaps if questioned, providing an answer to the insurance company or the broker. Mm. Yes, I've assumed it was the valuer. I, I could be reading that incorrectly and maybe it was the strata manager, but it certainly wasn't the insurer directly making this recommendation and offering the premium rebate that's another party involved there. So if any of this is ringing yeah. bells for others out there who may have experienced similar offers or interactions with valuers, insurers, brokers, we would be happy to hear from you. Yeah, definitely, man. I'd like to hear more about that because I'm not sure how common this is and sometimes you don't hear about things and then once someone raises it then there's a whole tsunami of others that have had the same hey, experience. story of my life hosting this podcast <laughs> I can tell you that <laughs> exactly what happens <laughs> and of course if you're not happy with the valuation or there's something about the whole scenario that's making you uncomfortable then obtaining another valuation from a professional qualified experienced valuer is always a good idea you said there earlier, Rena, that you like to use the same value of the same building. They're familiar with the building. That sounds like a good idea to me. Any other recommendations for selecting a, a good valuer to make sure we're getting the right sum insured? Perhaps one that, you know, that has done a lot of strata work before because normally people that have done strata work are familiar with the requirements of the legislation, as you said, Amanda, one, Section 161. So maybe this valuer perhaps mm. may not be aware and also, I mean, are they a registered value? I don't know, like in terms of the qualifications that's required. I mean, because I think sometimes we find in Strata that many companies try and offer you like, you know, capital fund forecasts and valuations mm. and this and that. So maybe using someone that perhaps speaking to other lot owners who in other buildings mm. or if you're a manager, perhaps comparing, looking at speaking with other colleagues in your office to see what other valuers they've used. But yep. um, yeah, good advice. Rena, your win for this week. Yeah, so one of my strata schemes recently, well, I wouldn't say recently, it was it's taken six months because these things, as you know, through the tribunal, Amanda, do take some time. So two lot owners applied for compulsory appointment because they felt that the scheme was dysfunctional. And I didn't agree with that proposal even though they'd spoken to me about it because having disagreements is not necessarily an indication of dysfunction. And in this in the particular case, the Owners Corporation, by majority, was able to have the repairs and maintenance completed. They've raised special levies to achieve that outcome. There's a, For a small scheme, there's a lot of money in the bank. So in terms of being able to do the work, the funding was there. 
they were getting quotes from various companies to do painting and sewage and other works. However, there was always arguments about the accuracy of minutes. So sometimes just the first motion would take a bit of time when proposed amendments were put forward and, and not agreed to, or in some rare cases they were agreed to. The other issue that was occurring was that special resolutions weren't being passed because the fact that the, by the number of lot owners and those that were in disagreement with each other, special resolutions weren't being able to be passed. This related to one of the lot owners being able to do some work in their apartment and that lot owner took that to the tribunal and that's a sort of, of a separate proceeding, mm-hmm. that, that particular problem. Others include replacing one type of fence with another type of fence and there's obviously a disagreement about that. So the hearing was occurred before Christmas and just now after Christmas we received the judgment to say that appointing a managing agent under Section 237 is quite draconian and should only be used in extreme cases where there is dysfunction. And the fact that there's disagreement about how something should be done is not a sign of dysfunction. Mm. Also, if repairs and maintenance aren't being done in a timely manner or as per the act of manner, that those lot owners can go to the tribunal and make applications for that to mm. occur, which is separate to having a managing agent being appointed compulsorily. Yes. So all in all, I think that's actually quite a good outcome. I actually was sceptical of the application in the first place and I told the owners who put it, I said, you know, these things don't, they're hard to get and you really got to show that things aren't working. And the fact that you might disagree on how things should be done doesn't mean that it's not functioning correctly. And I think for people that live in Strata, when you are living communally and decision-making is, is based on a, a fixed number of people who really are volunteers and, you know, may or may not have sort of any um, knowledge in terms of the act, which is why, you know, you have a strata managing agent to assist you in that regard, that having someone take over all those functions is really a, a big ask. And one of the things that I was a bit concerned about was the fact that the owners thought that, that the managing agent, if they were compulsory appointed, would then make sure that that offence of one type was only replaced with another type. And I'm yes. thinking, but I said, but I'm not sure any agent worth their salt would not do that because we are a custodian of the building for a fixed period. In, in most cases, it's only a year that, that you get these orders for. So I don't know why any agent would then decide that they think that you should replace this fence with that type of fence being a different material, yes. you know. So I'm not sure if they actually were aware of the agent's ability and appetite for doing such work and also special bylaws. I mean, as an agent, again, I think you and I have had this conversation before where I was a compulsory manager for a building, Amanda, and, and I, we sought your advice in terms of an owner wanted to, to do a bathroom renovation and they had already submitted their motion and the general meeting was being held the day after we were, we were the actual compulsory manager. And I sought your advice as to how to proceed with this because, in a sense, I don't want to be making bylaws mm. that in my period as an agent when really if everyone's really against this particular renovation. So luckily, you know, you, you gave me the advice. It was a bathroom renovation. We invited all the owners to come. We listened to any concerns. And, of course, in that case there weren't any and that proceeded to be passed. But overall I can't see how a compulsory manager should be making decisions of that type, which mm. are really more about not about doing the work but how the work should be done. 
So yes. what are your thoughts on that, Amanda? Oh, yes. I see it time and again with owners who think that this is a, a cure-all for the problems of, of not just the building but for their own problems. And they mm. do forget that as well as the owner's corporation losing its powers or the strata committee losing its powers, um, they too as owners are going to lose the power to vote. Mm. They have no uh, right, capacity, authority to instruct the compulsory appointed strata manager and in effect everything is handed over to that strata manager to make whatever they think is the best decision and they may not think that your innovation is the right decision for the owners as a whole as you say Rena eventually this building is handed back to the owners and you need to make sure that you've done everything in everybody's best interest so far as you could in that circumstance so yes it's something that I remind my clients and I deal with many clients who want to bring these kinds of applications that that is the result if they are successful they may feel it's a bit of a a pyrrhic victory if you like they get the order that they sought but have lost their power along with others in the building losing their powers as well something definitely to be mindful of Mm. i think also for managing agents that do participate in in compulsory managing a building i mean in a sense one particular fence is is a very small cost the one that the other the owners actually want is quite expensive and so i'm not sure aesthetically it may look nicer but I mean as an agent who's in the compulsory position what I mean how do you make a decision on Mm. which fence to to replace it with I mean you know should you just be replacing it like for like because that's really anything that you can't I would believe you should do in that position but I think they were thinking that that they would do what they wanted them to do I don't understand oh it's very common very common that the owner who's proposing a particular manager is proposing that manager thinking that that's going to be their person on the inside for the next year or however long the appointment is yes yeah yeah that's probably what it is well thank you for sharing that I do agree that it's um is not a path that buildings owners should want to go down except in the most severe of circumstances where uh other attempts to resolve the dispute or particular disputes have failed. I'm going to move into my win for this week. And this also arises from last year, the end of 2020. I was working with an owner involved in NCAT proceedings with their building. I didn't appear in those proceedings. There were no legal representatives permitted, but I was chatting to her. We had a couple of meetings assisting her put her submissions together and her legal argument. And the dispute related to the construction of a fence between two lots that had uh, backyard courtyards And there was a common property fence in place. It was damaged in need of replacement. And the owners corporation had resolved to replace the fence with one that was to be twice as high. So where we had a 1.8 metre fence, the owners corporation had resolved at a general meeting, ordinary resolution, to install a three metre fence. (laughs) That was the preference of the uh, owner who wanted this higher fence in place. They preferred the higher fence for privacy reasons. When my client came to me, I explained that in my view, this was not a repair or replacement. This was in fact an upgrade, an addition, a change, an alteration to the common property. And it could not be done on an ordinary resolution. A special resolution was needed under section 108. 
8 of our New South Wales legislation. So this owner took that particular argument to the tribunal. The other uh, backup, if you like, argument that she took to the tribunal was that if the fence was to be replaced with a three-metre fence, if they ultimately did get the special resolution or they felt that they already had almost unanimous support so they'd get it anyway, they needed uh, planning consent. They needed to approach the local council for this kind of an installation because it was so significant. And I encouraged my client and she did obtain a report from an expert that set out the relevant planning controls and why this kind of development was not exempt and why a development application and consent was needed, which in turn would give the neighbours the opportunity to object and explain why they didn't want this three metre high fence. It would block their own light and stop them enjoying their outdoor area. So with those arguments, I'm told my client went off to the tribunal and a short time after the hearing was opened, the owner's corporation essentially capitulated and uh, accepted my client's position that it indeed did have these difficulties without a special resolution and without a planning consent. So good result there for an owner before NCAT. That's great news, Amanda. I think that's really important for people to know that if you do get the right advice, which obviously occurred in your case, that, you know, even if you don't have a lawyer present, that if you're able to articulate your argument legally and succinctly and, and just keep it to the facts, that hopefully common sense will prevail and, and the findings will um, be favourable. Yeah, I think people don't understand that, you know, changing something, you don't actually own that fence and therefore mm. if the Owners Corporation does decide to make a change, it must comply with the Act in terms of what type of resolutions required. And I think, I mean, I know from my own um, experience, Amanda, that sometimes when my committees ask me, I'll say, you, you can't do that. So again, sometimes it does come down to perhaps getting some advice beforehand so that at least if you know something is controversial, you've done it correctly in the first instance. And therefore that aspect of the application couldn't be challenged by the lot owner. Perhaps yeah. the other part could have been, but you need to make sure that you sort of have all your ducks in a row and make sure that you, give the advice. But again, sometimes it's hard to know whether advice is given or advice is ignored. (laughs) That is true. That is a very good point. And the interesting aspect of this case I found was uh, the planning controls. And it's something that perhaps strata managers are not thinking of when we're talking about backyard fences or fences separating courtyards in a strata scheme. Why would the local council need to be involved in that? But when you've got an owner on the other side who's not happy about this fence, they're going to chase every rabbit down every hole, especially if they've got a lawyer there recommending that they do, and are going to find ways to make it difficult for the owner's corporation or perhaps the owner who wants to do this work to have that kind of development without the necessary consents. So something to always bear in mind, what consent do we need under the strata legislation? And is this the kind of work that perhaps we need to dig a little deeper and find out if there's any local council involvement needed as well? Yeah, sometimes you'd be surprised, man, depending on the council, that's like, mm. you may need a CDC for removing internal walls. And that's something that people don't even think about. And we don't even really push that. But yeah. um, we say you need to get all the budgetary authority approval, but we don't know what they are. Yes. Time, so... Yeah, very interesting thing to think about that there could be council involvement even within your own internal renovation. So, yeah, that's a really good outcome, Amanda. And with that, I think we will send everybody off into a new year. That is uh, plenty to keep us occupied 
for now? Yeah, definitely, man. Strata is always full of new things. <laughs> That's right. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time, at least together, sharing our wins and challenges, as we like to do every two weeks or so. I look forward to seeing you again soon, Rena. Me too, Amanda. Enjoy. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today? today?